Hey, White Sox fans, it's Brett Ballantini here with Southside Sox podcast number 15. Before we get into it, I'm going to have to issue an apology and a happy birthday. He's a Christmas Eve baby, Leonard Gore. He was supposed to be with me on podcast 15 and, of course, technical difficulties, which really means user error, uh, will prevent that episode from being aired. Hopefully number 16 or maybe number 17, maybe after the holidays, Lenny can hop back on with us and talk about all the great stuff. Uh, Let me tell you guys, it was probably the best podcast that's really ever been recorded by Southside Sox. So it's a shame. Hopefully we can come close to duplicating it. All the witticisms, all the cleverness, all the great insight that you come to look for from Southside Sox and our podcast will be duplicated when I'm able to talk to Leonard again. But again, apologies and also happy birthday. This is publishing on your birthday, Leonard Gore. So have a happy one and happy holidays. On that note, the other person who has had a podcast nullified and vanished in my history as an engineer is Remarkably enough, our guest for the now official redo of Southside Sox Podcast 15, and that's Smoke and Joe Reeses. Uh, welcome back to the podcast, Joe. Yes, thank you for having me. It's nice to be back. And yes, happy birthday to Leonard. <laughs> and actually, I'm saying welcome back, but looking through the archives, I think this is your first official Southside Sox podcast. Mm-hmm. I think we talked at least a couple times yes. for the Southside Hit Pen one. And let's face it, Oh, the lines were very, very, very blurred between those two. But officially, yeah. at least, you can't scroll down and hear anything from Joe Reeses on our little megaphone player that's running with this because you have not yet appeared with us on Southside Socks. But it is good to have you. And let's kick off. Very exciting oh, holiday season. Uh, it's going to be a terrific podcast. So why not start out talking a little bit about Tony LaRusa, the topic that no one wants to talk about. And let's not go through all the mundane stuff. Let's just get right into the fact that the White Sox have promised that if another mistake is made by Tony, which we're going to presume is drunk driving, but it could be a number of other things that are significant enough to have him sanctioned legally or by the league. Uh, I think the question I'm going to pose to you, Joe, is do you think the White Sox will back that up? Do you think they'll use it as an excuse to get out of the situation with Tony Lewis? Or do you think, in fact, they will double down and say, well, you know, that was a foul tip. That wasn't a that wasn't a strike three, so he gets yet another chance. I would lean toward it being more of a foul tip than <laughs> something more severe. It seems like there is just a ton of loyalty within the organization, and it really is it's a good thing in some situations, but this would not be one of them. And it has been some of their statements have just left a lot to be desired. And um, as far as them taking appropriate actions, if he takes another misstep, I think that's something that I would have to see before I believe it. I know people are, you know, tired. We're, I mean, we're all tired of this topic. We didn't want this to be a topic in the first place. Nobody presumed that Tony La Russa was going to be the next manager of the White Sox. And when his name was bandied about, I don't know, it was thought of as a goof. The fact that it was Bob Nightingale, you know, AKA Ken Williams, uh, uh, tweeting it, um, you know, maybe gave, you know, let the hair stand up on everyone's neck just a little bit, but still you'd think this can't actually be. So, you know, let's be clear. This isn't something we necessarily 
want to be talking about or having to be beating to death. I know a lot of people are sort of willing or ready to move on and, and are starting even to reprimand those who continue to keep this sort of out there and bat it around. But given this team, given the upward uh, trajectory of the team, given this being a pretty crucial time, not that it's never a crucial time when you're hiring a manager, this is a very delicate time and a chemistry on the team that's, you know, it's, it's significant. And what was built under Ricky Renneria is, is definitely going to take some sort of different direction now. And maybe in some ways it'll be good given the fact that Tony La Russa is probably going to be a little more of a taskmaster. He's going to be a little less of a father figure to the players, which uh, Ricky might've um, embraced to a fault perhaps in the clubhouse. I mean, this isn't something we should be blowing off uh, extended legal issues or not. This is still something pretty significant to have to address at least before bats and balls start getting cracked out of bags uh, in Arizona, right? Absolutely. It's been, yeah, you know, the, of course the legal issues here are not the only question marks that are raised. You know, it's even like prior to the details of his arrest were made public just pretty shortly after he was hired. Uh, there were a lot of question marks uh, with good reason about, you know, is he really the best fit? He hasn't been a, he you know, retired nine years ago and um like obviously there's it's very difficult to dispute his success as a manager but you know it has been a while and um with a team that has a very um I feel like a very united core um that is kind of built a reputation on changing the game and kind of challenging the old standards and the unwritten rules is Tony LaRusso going to be okay with that kind of identity. And um, overall, I'm struggling to be optimistic that he's going to kind of let the players be themselves. Um, but um, certainly hoping for the best in, in that regard. And I'm, I'm hopeful at least that he, he's, he'll be flexible with that. Yeah, Tony seems to be challenging the written rules. So, I mean, there's definitely challenging the rules going on. Yes. It's just not really those unwritten ones. And and clearly, I don't think – I'm not sure change the game is going to be the hashtag slogan going into the 2021 right. season. I'm not sure what it is. I don't know if they've come up with anything. But, boy, I bet you they're scratching their heads bloody trying to figure out what that's going to be given the PR – disaster or nightmare that's been handed to them with this sort of enforced hiring and brighter news, Joe, uh, just this week, uh, James Fox is one of the people who uh, brought this out, but I think it was Ben Badler who broke the story. If I got his name right in uh, baseball America, that <laughs> the disputed first name of Yol Yolkis Cespedes, uh, half-brother of uh, uh, Jonas Cespedes, uh, is signing with the White Sox, and that'll be announced next month. And this is in addition to the fact that the White Sox have already brought in pretty much the top arm coming out of Cuba in this class, even though the classes are, are, are defined sort of vaguely. Uh, Norge Vera, again, might not exactly have that right, but two pretty plum picks, arguably maybe the top two names coming out of Cuba are both coming to the White Sox. Uh, obviously, you got to feel good about that, but it's nice that there's even balance between a, an arm and a bat. Yes, it's definitely been nice to see their um, um, success with uh, 
being able to sign those players. Um, yeah, Cespedes is a very interesting prospect for sure, and he doesn't really have any clear weaknesses on his scouting reports. Um, obviously, like he is um, compared to the other international signings, he is certainly on the older side at 23, but he is a lot closer to the major leagues than the vast majority of them as well. Um, and he'll probably need, yeah, most are estimating he will have about a year or so in the minors before he'll um, be able to make it to the show. And that's been a, a bit of a a good thing to see for sure. And um, yeah, and of course the addition of the 20-ish pounds of muscle um, is, is, you know, that works in his favor and um, certainly is, has a very, very um, strong build. Um, and, um, you know, for someone of his stature, stature like a very um, large um, amount of power in that, in the, his bat. And, you know, it hasn't been, you know, he hasn't gotten a ton of playing time in the past couple of seasons, but um, the overall reviews are positive. And um, yeah, it's not easy to be the number one international prospect on yeah. in MLB pipeline rankings. Um, but that is the rank that he has earned. And um, that does seem to be deserved at this point in time. Yeah. When you're thinking about the fact that, uh, you know, it seems to me that some of the projections of him getting to the majors are a little optimistic, especially given the fact he hasn't had a lot of playing time, uh, though I guess he's an older prospect. Um, but even if you look at the fact that uh, uh, Luis Robert took three years, and that's with injury, uh, and if you're projecting him as a similar type player, and again, Luis Robert is probably in a slightly different class, but uh, I think the comparisons aren't completely invalid, especially given some of the things that Cespedes is, is struggling with, including uh, seeing and, and making contact with breaking pitches. Uh, even if you were to say, okay, a couple of years, healthy, a couple of years, well, that still puts him potentially in the majors, maybe even at the start of the 2023 season, which is certainly not, we're not burning money. Uh, you know, he's still, he's still just approaching uh, 30. He's going to be able to give the Sox his prime years. So even sort of worst case, if you want to call it that, uh, scenario with this, I think you're still going to get a guy who's going to be able to produce, hopefully at the major league level, and maybe very significantly, on a, a pretty short time frame, even if some folks are, are, are jumping ahead. I mean, the guy I'm going to rely on most, uh, Phil on Twitter, out of Cuba, uh, who's done a lot of scouting of him, is, is to me truly one of the foremost Cuban baseball experts. Uh, I think he was projecting him to begin like A plus, high A ball, maybe getting to double A and playing some fall league in his first year. And that would set him on a trajectory to perhaps touch the majors, maybe the end of that second season stateside, or, or again, maybe just come out of spring training in 2023. I don't think that's anything to shake a stick at. Given the fact that the system itself, it's not as if Adolfo is, is, or Mike Adolfo is crawling over Blake Rutherford, who's elbowing Luis Gonzalez to get into the majors. All of these guys are sort of pointing at, the other saying, okay, you know, you first. Uh, mm-hmm. So there's a clear lane for Cespedes to get to the majors and, you know, it, it's out there for him. Absolutely. Um, he'll have to fight Adam Eaton for the, for the <laughs> spot in 2021, but. Um, Perhaps yeah. literally. Yes. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, we don't have to discuss that yet. Um, I was just going to yeah. say. Um, yeah. Um, but 
as far as the outfield depth in the farm system um, right now, it's not, there's not a lot there. It's kind of, you know, made up of a lot of guys who have kind of struggled at the double A level um, quite a bit. Um, you know, Birmingham, Bur- the Birmingham park is pretty pitcher friendly, but it's still th- those hitters you mentioned um, have still not lived up to the hype that was initially given to them. And it's, all is not lost for them yet, but um, they are certainly behind schedule um, and, you know, have, you know, took a step back in um, 2019, um, which was the most recent season. There was a minor league season. Um, I mean, and let's not sleep on Avera as well. That's, that's very significant to get a guy who could be projected again. I think these things are always sort of optimistic, but, a guy who could project to to a number one arm in a rotation uh, is nothing to shake your head at. He's, I think, just going to maybe 20. I mean, this would be his age 20 season, I think, coming in. So clearly he's young, whatever the exact age. Very young. He's already pitched a season in Cuba and, and held his own pretty well, 11 starts, some pretty nice numbers. Uh, you know, th- these are two players who are perhaps legitimately cracking, if not a top five White Sox prospects. I think both probably easily are right there or inside top 10 prospects. And again, that's that's nothing to sneeze at, given that in a sense, this is almost, you know, this is extracurricular. This is bonus. Every team does need to pluck international players in order to be successful. Not every team does. And the White Sox have been on the outside looking in in past years too, where we've sort of whiffed on the potential to add an impact player or two or three. Uh, the Sox have been a lot better about that recently, certainly not just with the headline signings like Luis Robert, but uh, something like what's being done here, giving the White Sox, I don't think it's probably disputable, the best international class for 2020 uh, or 2021 is is significant. And, and thank goodness they're doing it because these are two plum players and now have in the system. Yes, absolutely. It's yeah, great to have them, both um, in the in the system and um, as as far as Vera goes, yeah, he's another a player without any clear weaknesses um, as far as his scouting grades. And yeah, um, you were correct about the age twenty thing. And it doesn't turn twenty one until June, so he's still very young. And um, he, yeah, his best pitch seems to be his fastball, but um, he seems to be quite versatile as far as his. Um, breaking pitches, um, like the curveball slider and the changeup all have above average grades. Um, and, um, you know, a lot of times the risk with younger pitchers is, you know, the risk of injury and, um, having, um, um, a bit of a bigger, um, risk factor as, as a result of that. Um, but, um, I think, he is, I think he is certainly less risky than, um, you know, taking, than say using a top 10 pick in the draft on a high school pitcher for sure. Like I would much rather sign Vera than do that um, without a doubt. And um, that is certainly a um, good um, piece of information. And uh, he, um, has also gotten um, many uh, – he has also impressed many scouts as far as, like, his baseball IQ, which, you know, is not an easy thing to find for 20-year-olds um, a lot of the time. 
So you know, having that um, you know, on his record is also a reason for optimism. And as far as um, just international arms, it's, it's tough to do better than, than there, I would say. And so, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, great job by the organization in bringing him in. And if it's a stretch or not, let's just be lazy and say, all right, this is like getting another Jared Kelly. I mean, the fact that you've added uh, Garrett Crochet, Jared Kelly, and now Norgevera to uh, within a calendar year, or not a calendar year, but, but you know, in a matter of months, uh, that's no small feat. And the fact that these guys all seem ready to hit the ground running, I mean, of course, Vera's going to need a significant season. His, his frame is still filling out. Uh, but at the same time, he's also pitched professionally in Cuba, you know, as a teenager. So it's not as if he's going to be wide-eyed either. And you could argue his development or at least his, his, his IQ, his awareness, maybe even his, his situational pitching, who knows, could be ahead of a guy like uh, Jared Kelly who's just seen, you know, significant but still just a prep competition. And, and Schaumburg, you know, let's not forget. So, uh, you know, to add three arms, when they could easily have added none. We could we could have just sort of whiffed at the high end of the draft and international class. The fact that you're adding uh, three, one of whom's already <laughs> made an impact on the major league team, they're they're a pretty good role, right? I have to say, you know, I know the Sox are getting a lot of sort of rough PR, and good, God bless you guys, you deserve it, you deserve every piece of it. But let's not forget yeah. the other hand, which is, uh, you know, despite the fact that the system is a little thin or starting to thin because guys are graduating out there, they're this cube, this Cuban class is is going to help replenish that in you know a, a pretty significant way. Absolutely, and yeah, the comparison to J- Jared Kelly or the fact that he might be a similarly rated prospect is something that makes me very happy because you know, Kelly was probably the steal of the draft. Um, mm-hmm. As far as yeah, I did not think he would fall as far as he did. So you know, the fact that the White Sox were able to get both um, Garrett. Or, um, yeah, both Crochet and Kelly um, were a, that. That was absolutely a um, a very good development. And yeah, if Vera can be you know, close to either of those guys as far as his projections, then that's definitely a good sign going forward. Sox uh, area scouts have been playing good hunches. I mean, there was the uh, very very low drafting of uh, Bryce. Bush uh, a couple, three drafts ago, uh, this hunch they played with Kelly where the White Sox suddenly are like the sugar daddies in this draft. And they're the ones who are saying, yeah, we're going to hold money. We're going to get, yeah, you know, if you've dropped us, we're going to get you. And no other team, 40 so picks before them decided to pull that trigger is, a, it's astounding. The fact that they got a first round pick. And in fact, those, those, those uh, draft picks could easily have flipped is uh, uh man you know what whatever they are shaking on the Wheaties in the morning the mm-hmm. area scouts are doing a, a very fine job um we are going to take a short break uh here on the podcast we'll be back with joe we're going to talk a little bit more specifically about what the white Sox can do re- with what remains with this off season not that a lot's actually transpired uh because there still is work to be done and it's not in getting Cespedes who's not going to be in the major leagues next year uh, and it's certainly not, you already broke the class on it, Joe. So it's certainly not in signing Adam Eaton, even though he might apparently be the main player in, in right field uh, in 2021. Uh, but Joe has some ideas about what the White Sox can still do to make this an even more successful offseason. We're going to get to that right after the break. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And hey, I, I don't know what is on these commercial breaks, even when I pop them in, um, engineering these. Uh, you might have just heard uh, a commercial spot for, for natural, vegan uh, hair coloring. I just heard that the other day for the first time, and I thought, that is an interesting sponsorship. So, uh, I mean, I don't know if I can I can promise any to you, Joe, or me, but, you know, anybody uh, on the Southside Sox staff or maybe uh, reading out there, maybe, maybe we can get some samples. Maybe we can send them out. I don't know. Or perhaps you didn't hear that. You heard some fantasy football thing or something. I've heard that one, too. I'm not really sure how that gets plopped into the middle of a Chicago White Sox baseball podcast. But thank you for uh, withstanding the break. We are back for the second half of the Southside Sox podcast. We're going to dig in a little bit more to the off-season present time, and the story is linked in the body of this piece. It's, it's Joe's piece from about, I don't know, a week or so ago, where you tried to look ahead and say, okay, what more can the White Sox do to shore up what is a roster that is complete, but is certainly not Super strong one all the way down to 26. And when you are talking about competing and, and expecting playoffs and maybe competing deep into the playoffs, you've got to be strong at 26. There's no more punting the bench. There's no more punting any starters, even though right field is looking a little bit that way these days. Um, so again, uh, let's, let's start, Joe, your, your assessment so far, how you're feeling about the team. And then let's sag into maybe what you think perhaps the most important move they, the White Sox should still make should be. For sure. Um, as far as my um, feelings about the whole team, like I do believe that they are in a good position for the first time ever to get, make it to the postseason in back-to-back years. Granted, it's never been easier to do that, but still it is worth noting, I guess, that they I do like their chances of getting back to the postseason, um, and that is – I guess they, that is one of the most important things to be able to say because the MLB playoffs, um, if you get in, you you could really make some noise um, just about no matter who you are. And um, as far as like the whole, the holes that were kind of near the top of the agenda, as far as you know, um, and what they needed to address, um, I thought they did an okay job with the Lance Lynn trade. You know, that was, Certainly a risk, um, but I was fine with the logic behind it. Um, I, I very much um, um, was a fan of Dane Dunning, and he definitely gave the White Sox some good starts in this past season in you know, their first um, playoff season in 12 years. Um, like There are, certainly are some question marks about him going forward, and I do believe that he was pretty close to his ceiling. Um, so it was still risky to, you know, trade, I believe, six years of control of him for one of Lance Lynn. But, you know, this is a year that is certainly, you know, in the White Sox's window. And um, I think that Lynn um, will be better in 2021 than Dane Dunning will be. So um, 
with that in mind, you know, I'm satisfied. You know, it wasn't a thriller, but, you know, I was satisfied with that one. And and I'm not sure you make that move unless you've spoken to Lynn's uh, representatives to say, is this guy even going to be open for, let's just, let's just throw something out there. It would be open to be extended at the rate he's being paid now. And if you're getting a no way, he doesn't want to be in Chicago. All right. That's one thing. So clearly there had to be a little bit, I mean, again, no guarantee of an extension, which obviously would make the trade uh, much better from the White Sox end because you're certainly not uh, uh, burning a guy uh, who has some rotation promise for one year of, you know, no matter how good the pitcher is. Uh, so I think you go, I mean, Han's smart enough, I think, to go in having a hunch that this is at least feasible. So hopefully it's not something where, you know, it really is, you know, Lynn for a year, no matter how good it is in, in Sayonara, because that's probably going to be a little rough to swallow. And we're going to have different conversations a year from now about that, that trade, I'm afraid. But, and you can skip that and meeting part if you want. We don't have to talk about okay, that. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we, yeah, we do not have to address that. Um, yeah. It, well, the bright side is may- maybe he's not the ending solution. I'm thinking he probably is for 2021. Uh, they certainly aimed low there when it wasn't necessary. If if this is indeed the final solution that they have, um, and it is the plan for him to start in right field um, throughout this season, then you know that would certainly be you know a. a kind of a similar kind of vibe as going for Nomar Mazzara last season. Um, which, well, that's a problem, Joe, too, that we, you know, we were addressing earlier where that's 26 spot on the roster is important. You can say, oh, well, there's no limited money. There's a salary cap. Uh, you can cut guys. Away. But not really. Once you make these commitments, which is what made the Adam Eaton deal so astounding is you commit to a guy for even, even if that was your 26th, spot in your roster you're still committing to a guy and you're locking in at, a, at not an inexpensive rate by the way uh when that's a precious it's not necessarily the money anymore for the white Sox, um although i guess it always is uh it's getting to the point where you know they're they're top 15 guys they're locked in they're not going anywhere you know they're they're the prime of the team you got to fill in those other 10 11 spots and you can't be frivolous about it. You can't send Adam Eaton to the minors. You're not going to be able to flip him somewhere if George Springer falls to you somehow. Um, so the fact that you're locking in here, and then when Rickon says something like, well, this savings helps us, you know, is going to help us with the next move, when there's only limited moves that are going to be made, I mean, possibly we're going to talk about uh, Kyle Schwarber here in a second. I mean, okay, maybe you could talk about fortifying left field, I guess maybe DH, the rotation, but that money was probably still there. So sometimes the song and dance with the White Sox is, I mean, I know they got to do it, but, eh, you know, it makes you exhale hard and put your head. There's always a limited amount of money with this team. It's um, yeah, certainly. We're coupon clippers. Yes. (laughs) Um, Yeah. It's a bit of a reminder of, you know, the 2015 to 16 off season where, they make the big splash early on, but um, just couldn't really close the deal. And I'm hoping that this isn't the same um, idea here. Um, I do feel very strongly that the White Sox, you know, in spite of that similarity, are in a better position to compete in 2021 than they ever were for 2016. Um, but um, overall, like, certainly I'm hoping for this to not be a repeat of that offseason. Um, because you know, if 
they're pretty strong as it is, but um, they still do have some gaps that need to be filled in. And um, it's you know, a lot of times um, series in, in the postseason are decided on, you know, which team has fewer gaps as opposed to which team has more star players. And um, yeah, to, yeah, it just doesn't inspire a lot of confidence to have, you know, eaten there as the number one option. Um, and yeah, I, yeah, the, we, yeah, we've, we've been told the money will be spent and yeah, it's just a matter of when. And, uh, um, yeah, certainly I'm hopeful that it, that it does. And yeah, I hope, yeah, Han is, um, correct when he, when he, and he sticks with his, um, statement that, um, the, the savings will be you know, allocated toward other, other moves. You mentioned uh, three names in your in your article that people have probably already read, and I encourage you to read it again. But uh, we're going to go through them here, and just one of them's a bat, and it is Kyle Schwarber. And I suppose uh, you'd be looking to him DHing, and I guess he'd fill in left field in a in a in some sort of crazy clown car battle in left field if it's a platoon, some sort of platoon of Eloy Jimenez and Kyle Schwarber, but. Um, do you think maybe broadening it out because people can read your thoughts about Kyle and you'll share some here, but at this point, do you think a Kyle Schwarber move or, or what it's probably going to be a minor bad an Adam Eaton esque contract, short term, not a lot of big money. Uh, do you think it even matters at this point? You've got Zach Collins who's lined up for some, some uh, DH appearances. Yasmani Grandal is going to get DH time. Jose Abreu with Lord knows Eloy Jimenez should probably be getting about 150 games at DH, but he won't. Um, at this point, does uh, you know not to render what you've written null, but uh, is it important still just to get another major league bat on this roster because you can't necessarily hand it over to a Zach Collins or press some of these guys into that extra time at DH? Yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, well, yeah. As far as Zach Collins goes, like I. I am just not convinced that he should have a spot on the 26 man roster. Like he just hasn't really been consistently a, a viable option. Like the, the Zach Collins fanboys are coming after you, Joe. Just warning. Yes. They're coming after Sorry. You. Apologies in advance to the Zach Collins fanboy club. Um, yeah. It's a, uh, yeah, like I would like to for him to prove me wrong, but um, yeah, I just think that I need more proof before it's before I'd be comfortable giving him a spot on the twenty-six man roster. It's a, it's a tough roster to crack. Getting to the majors is very difficult. Um, but I mean, the like as far as like uh, like in a, in a sense like. Collins, like Schwerber, came up as a catcher who just could never really get his defense up to par at that position. And so, like, with catcher being a very, you know, valuable position, you know, premium catchers are very difficult to find, and you typically don't expect as much from catchers at the plate, um, you know, compared to most if not all other positions um you know having now that collins is no longer really a viable option there you know outside of some like very like emergency situations where um 
where he may have to enter the game there, uh, but those would be extremely rare. Um, like all of a sudden, like the expectations for his bat jump up quite a bit with him, you know, being maybe a DH or a corner outfielder um, or a first baseman, for example, like, um, and Schwarber, well, he shares the, you know, the defensive deficiencies. Um, he doesn't, he, I am entirely convinced that he is a major league bat and, you know, with his on base percentage and his power, um, he, you know, I would have no um, gripes about him being like the main option at designated hitter. And, um, like, um, yeah, he'll never be a, a star fielder regardless of position. Um, and, you know, pretty comfortable saying that, but, um, he hits well enough to where I do believe that there would be a spot on the roster for him. And, um, yeah, the, the price tag has dropped considerably on him compared to, you know, when, you know, there was a lot of hype about him, you know, early on in his run with the Cubs and, um, yeah, I, I would feel pretty strongly that he would fit into the White Sox um, budget, which is oddly, oddly tight, as we've, as we've yeah. mentioned. Yeah. Joe, I, listen, if Zach Collins doesn't break camp with the White Sox, if he's not the third catcher slash DH slash whatever, who is going to dance for dubs? This is something <laughs> yeah. you got to, I mean, you know, the White Sox got to be thinking this way. Yes. I mean, <laughs> either Danny Mendick is alone. He, he's no he's no guarantee for the 26th man. There could be no dancing for Dubs. And then what are we going to do? We might as well call the season. True. Um, yes. Um, yeah. The Collins is at the top of the dancing for Dubs depth charts, and I did fail to give him credit for that. All right. Uh, clearly, uh, if there's money still to be spent or, you know, whatever, the Adam Eaton savings isn't going to be, you know, rolled into something else. Clearly, uh, an arm is going to have to be in the mix. Uh, a lot of people, including maybe even the, the White Sox, have, have let it be known that Liam Hendricks is a target. Uh, to me, that doesn't resonate uh, like the need for a starter, given that the White Sox still have only three solid starters going into the season, which, again, is maybe more than other teams. But if you're, if you're planning on playing into October or November or whenever it's going to push into this year, you might need, you know, more than that, at least to get there. Once you're there, maybe you do just need the three, but you got to have more than three to get there. So clearly a number four starter seems to be on the shopping list. Let's just put the closer nonsense to the side because we just should. Uh, but two of the names you came up with, uh, one very familiar, it's almost like a given that Jose Quintana is going to come back to the South side. And I don't think anybody has a problem with that, but of course I'm more intrigued and that does help give the rotation some balance that it wouldn't have otherwise by adding another left-hander. Uh, but that didn't work out so well with Gio Gonzalez last year. So maybe we shouldn't be so focused on balance. We should be focused on guys who can actually throw more than three innings without losing control or getting hurt. So the name that's really intrigued me in your piece, and I'm sure I'll butcher it, but Tomoyuki Sugano, Sugano, one or the other, I hope. Sugano is correct. Yeah, you got Sugano. it. Sugano, okay. Uh, intriguing. Right-hander, more of a veteran. And I've heard some criticism saying, hey, listen, the last couple Japanese pitchers have come over to the majors have, you know, been handed their lunch. You know, why are we assuming he's going to be, you know, uh, Tanaka or you know, whoever else? Because there are a couple ugly contracts out there that are just – you know, going to bleed teams dry. Uh, Seattle Mariners are uh, under the gun for one. 
So, of course, there's no guarantees, but the fact that he's got comps that are at least in the ballpark of Maeda, who was virtually Cy Young Award winner in the short season we just had, uh, is pretty intriguing. Uh, start off talking a little bit more about him because I think that's a player that most of us are not too familiar with. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so Sugano has been um, one of the leaders, if well, actually not one of the leaders, the leader in as far as um, pitching in the NPB for you know the a pretty sizable portion of the 2010s and um, delivered another outstanding season in 2020. Um, and um, ever since I started following that league back in 2016, you know, he's always had some really good numbers against the Dragons, you know, my favorite team in that league, and um, as well as against nearly every team in, in that time. And, um, yeah, I'm certainly – yeah, I'm not expecting him, him to be the next um, Masahiro Tanaka uh, at all, but um, uh, he – and it's not always easy to, you know, transfer, you know, abilities from that league to the majors. You know, the majors is a um, – just an extremely competitive um, environment. Um, but, you know, his numbers were just outstanding over there and um, even slightly better than Maeda's. And, um, like, I think with just his combination of pitches, um, like, he's, he's certainly not a one-pitcher, a two-pitch pitcher. Um, like, he can... Um, keep hitters off balanced pretty easily. Um, he's got great control, doesn't walk many. Um, and um, overall just has, he's a very good all around pitcher. And um, I do think that uh, he has a lot of potential and he's you know, still at a pretty young age, you know, in his early thirties. Um, so he's, he's got, he's got some, some, um, time remaining absolutely. And with that very strong arm of his. I wonder if, uh, what benefits or what is proven uh, based on the first half of our show, we were talking about, uh, what is proven to be a benefit of the White Sox, this Cuban connection that extends of course, all the way back to many Minoso, uh, is something that then works against the White Sox. And we're talking about bringing in, a player from Japan or Korea or any Asian player, given that there is no Asian presence on the team, there's going to have to be an infrastructure that gets built, which I know is not improbable and it's, it's, it's easy enough to do. And the White Sox have done it before, but they don't have anything built in the way uh, Seattle might or San Francisco might. And the same thing that sort of makes it appealing. Luis Robert has said, I wanted to come to the White Sox. He knew the heritage. Uh, he knew the history. He knew the tradition and that, of course, and the money uh, got him to Chicago. But it sounds like to me, even deals, he would have chosen Chicago knowing what the background was. And unfortunately, the White Sox, in this case, uh, when you're looking at perhaps even just chatting with someone like Sagano, uh, might work against them because they just don't, there's not much they can say. They can't say, we have this infrastructure. Uh, we, we have these tools we're going to use. Of course, we'll import them. We'll pay for them. You know, obviously that's going to be part of the, part of the deal. But, you know, fortunately, if you've got such a good connection with, you know, say like Cuban players, well, you're not going to have a great connection with everyone. I guess maybe if you're the Dodgers, I, I suppose they have a connection with everything there. They probably have a, uh, a train facility on Mars that we're not aware of. 
you know, they're going to hit everywhere. But, you know, White Sox can't do that. Most teams can't do that. So, unfortunately, we're talking about someone like Sagano. Uh, that certainly might work against them. Um, the market could still fall to them, and I, I certainly hope they've at least – got him on speed dial to monitor the situation because given this off season and the billions uh, major league baseball has lost, uh, you don't know what might fall to the White Sox. And, and the fact, I think I've said many times, if, if they're zagging in a time where everybody else is zigging and, and sort of like holding back, this is, this could be really time to strike. It seems like they've done it with the Cuban players and it might be nice if some of this stuff falls into their lap. I hope they're willing to, uh, to strike. That said, they have a lot of familiarity with the other guy who you wrote about. Of course, that's Jose Quintana, a guy who had some struggles in the weird season that just passed. But really, up until then, had, has always been a pretty efficient pitcher. He ran into a little bit more trouble on the north side compared to the south side. But I suppose he got a little more run support there, too. So uh, it seems like he would be eager to come back. It doesn't seem like the price tag would be too bad. Uh, it seems like his stuff is still there. I think this is a Gio Gonzalez move, certainly plus. This is this is uh, shooting a little higher than that. If they have to settle for Quintana at number four, I think we're okay with that. Yes. Um, yeah, like once again, Quintana gets pretty unlucky, you know, having, you know, the season he had, um, you know, right before the his contract expired. So, yeah, sadly, I, yeah, I think his um, – you know, lack of playing time in 2019 um, from the injuries um, um, may have um, hurt his market, but um, yeah, like, um, but uh, you know, the his long kind of streak of bad luck um, you know, aside, um, I I think the yeah, I, I would be shocked if the White Sox couldn't give him the same amount of. They couldn't give him more run support than they gave him last time he was with the team. Um, more than zero. Yes, more than <laughs> zero this time around. And, yeah, he um, – despite the pretty high ERA, um, pitched pretty well. Um, his um, – baseball savant certainly – like his metrics um, on that side certainly would have – led me to believe he, you know, that, you know, that was a pitcher with less than a 4.6 ADRA from 2019. And, um, yeah, his FIP and his ex-FIP were also quite a bit lower than that. So, um, that was a different kind of bad luck, I guess. Um, you know, he had run support, but, um, as far as balls in play, the luck was not there that, uh, that time around. And, um, yeah, like, of course, yeah, the Gio Gonzalez, um, you know, this isn't, you know, quite the same tier, but, you know, it's kind of like a similar concept of, of the contract. But, um, yeah, I, I do have confidence that he can bounce back after the um, struggles that he had um, just even getting on the field last year. Um, yeah, he really hasn't had any seasons yet where, you know, he's just been, you know, a, a liability in, in the rotation. And um, once again, you know, he's another guy um, in his in his early 30s. Um, not a ton of mileage yet on, on that arm, and um, yeah, he would seem to warrant or deserve you know a contract. Once again, that the White Sox would be comfortable giving out, unless they get outbid, um, which you know, is very much a possibility. But um, 
Yeah, as far as his abilities on the field, he absolutely would improve the rotation. And, um, yeah, that would be a player I'd be comfortable having out on the field every fifth day. Let's not count our Quintanas uh, before they've signed, but how hilarious is it going to be next August when the White Sox roll into Wrigley Field with Quintana in the rotation, Eloy hopefully not stuck in the netting in <laughs> Sox Park. He's yeah. extracting himself from the netting, so he's able to show up and play left in Wrigley. Maybe Dylan Cease uh, with Ethan Katz, Toolage, uh, perhaps actually stepping up in that number five role and kicking some ass. Yeah, who knows? Schwarber maybe I you know I don't really care one way or the other but okay Schwarber and uh you know Lenny Casper doing the yes. radio call you know? <laughs> wasn't sure if you were going to mention not that we care about the north side but it's it's going to be pretty it's going to be pretty funny it's going even if none of these nothing more happens it's going to still be pretty funny it kind of comes over it's going to be pretty funny so all right let's seg here into well, I don't know. It's We haven't really rolled it out yet on Southside Sox, but it's coming. We're going to start with our second veterans ballot, even though they decided to punt that this year, which was unfortunately terrible timing and terrible news for Dick Allen, who, who very likely would have heard he made the Hall of Fame uh, as he was perhaps succumbing to the cancer that killed him, which, again, in the big picture, doesn't make any difference, but it would have been... Well, it wouldn't have been a bad thing, uh, but they punted that vote. We're not punting ours. Uh, that's coming up uh, soon. Uh, and then, of course, we have the Southside Sox Hall of Fame. It'll be our fourth vote. And we're going to, of course, do our regular many, many years we've done it, the regular Hall of Fame vote. And we're going to talk a little bit about the regular Hall of Fame vote, because at least today, I certainly saw some information coming from what appears to be the the leading or the most likely candidate to make the Hall of Fame, which is it hurts to say, but Kurt Schilling, um, he is trying his hardest not to make the Hall of Fame because he's just not smart enough to shut the hell up and just let people vote and maybe let one guy in this year because it really doesn't seem like this is going to be a very robust class. And it could really be a whiff this year, especially given the the other bad publicity uh, brought on um, or who had brought on to himself, Omar Vizquel. So, Give me a read on the Hall of Fame and uh, and what you're thinking. Are we going to have a zero class for uh, 2021? Well, it, it's looking like a pretty good possibility right now that, you know, the super rare goose egg um, ballot um, comes comes to uh, fruition. Um, I, yeah, I think with simply the amount of players on the ballot who have posted numbers that were good enough, uh, but, you know, perhaps um, had a little bit of assistance from PEDs to, to get those numbers. I think those players, there are just too many mixed opinions um, to get 75% of the votes. Um, that, would be, that would be required. Um, yeah, the, and for the most part, um, I would agree that um, those players, you know, I personally wouldn't give a vote to those players. The only one that kind of gives me a little bit of hesitation to vote no on would be Barry Bond, since he posted just such incredible numbers before um, he was even using PEDs or was, you know, believed to be starting to use them, like, simply, like, you know, Mike Trout, you know, just started using them now after he's already had a Hall of Fame career. It's a little bit of a 
a strange um, situation there because, you know, Trout already has Hall of Fame numbers. Um, but um, other than that, um, um, yeah, the, there is one player who I feel very strongly deserves a shot would be Scott Rowland. Um, you know, he's, he was a well above average third baseman with uh, very good fielding numbers and um, certainly enough wins above replacement in his career that I believe he, he deserves a spot. And I feel like given the results of past uh, uh, or past years voting, I don't think that he is getting enough credit for the defense, which, you know, regardless of your source that you like to use for, um, for fielding uh, um, evaluations, he's very close to the top of the league in all of them. Um, so that one is certainly a that's that would be one player that I would feel very very comfortable voting yes on. Um, and that's the name that jumped out at me uh, in in terms of worthiness. And you wonder, Joe, if there's going to be a trickle down effect, given that it's going to be maybe potentially easier again because some of these guys are also actually making the case against the Shillings and the Biscales, probably the two guys with the most momentum going into possibly being elected this year, that perhaps there might be a triple trickle down effect where people feel like they have to vote for somebody. And maybe some of those guys who would normally be overlooked, uh, maybe writers has given them a lot of credit, but maybe voters would take a little harder look at the ballot and say, this is a guy, maybe there is a little benefit for Roland and that he gets that little, because you just need that little push. I mean, we've seen it with this gal. You get that little push and we've seen it many times before. And then suddenly there's momentum. And uh, now it seems like it's maybe more of an inevitability. With Mark Burley, first on, uh, you know, first time on the ballot, he's a guy who's just got to clear that 5% in order to get even what you might call momentum just to survive. And then, you know, who's to say, uh, you know, how the, the narrative changes over the years and how he might, you know, a guy like him, there are others, um, who might gain the momentum that they need to, to just build enough of a case at the very least to bring a uh, have a legitimate uh, sort of um, resume to bring once it comes down time first whatever veterans vote they keep they keep changing it um, the criteria seems awfully bizarre um, but I mean you just get your name thrown in the hopper there and and you got a chance in some ways it's almost easier than trying to clear seventy five percent mark with voters because we know they're largely clods and clowns so. Uh, the thing I like about Roland's chance is that, yeah, just maybe the fact that it's like, well, okay, can't vote for Clemens, can't vote for Bonds, can't vote for Chilton. But at some point, you know, I mean, he is like, what, what do you finish? Sixth or seventh, maybe uh, last year. I don't know, but you know, you're going to get to him at some point and say, okay, well, I, I can't think of any reason why I don't want him. And, and who knows, maybe he gets his, the, the, the box uh, ticked for him in a way that, you know, maybe would have been over, you know, you got these guys with their arbitrary limits. I'm going to go for three guys. I'm going to go for four guys. I'm going to go for one guy. We've seen enough of that. Maybe that one guy this year is Scott Rowland because, you know, by, by default still counts, you know, got Larry Walker in. Yes. Would be nice um, to see, you know, yeah. <laughs> Like it, it, I would feel that you know if that's what it takes um, for him to get um, more credit, then I'm I'm all for it. Um, and, and as far as Burley's case, yeah, I, I do think that he will he'll he'll clear the five percent um, pretty easily. At least he should. Um, I'm kind of 
I, I wouldn't be like a strong yes for him, but I, I would give him a yes um, as as far as as far as my vote. Um, yeah. I mean, um, big Hall, tighter Hall. I mean, if you're in any way Big Hall, I think there's room for Mark Burley. If you're not, and there are people who aren't, clearly a lot of them vote uh, and decide that they got to make guys like poor Mini Mignoso you know, go through. You know, well, he's still going through it. So mm-hmm. uh, the ghost of uh, Mini Mignoso is is is, is still trying to jump through whatever hoops, you know, now we're saying, okay, maybe the, uh, the inclusion of Negro league stats. Now he has more than 2000 hits. So suddenly everybody's going to wake up and say he mm-hmm. should be in. Well, again, whatever it takes. I mean, I know it seems silly to say, well, okay, Scott Rowland is your default candidate because the other seven are scumbags. So, well, okay. Hey, you know, by any means necessary, right. Especially when it comes time to get momentum, a guy like Tim Raines, you know, there are a lot of weird uninformed nays early on and he just got enough support. You know, it wasn't quick. You know, Larry Walker wasn't quick. I mean, I'm sure there were many people who got their balance and said, Larry Walker, are you kidding? And maybe by the end, they were voting for him. That's all it takes. These guys just need to have, need to be led to water, and then they need to have their faces shoved in it so they can drink a little. And then they're like, oh, okay, that was refreshing. Let's vote for Scott Rowland because he's a Hall of Famer. So I'm with you, Joe. <laughs> All right, we cannot end this up. I got a Sox Man champion with me. I got to talk a little Sox Man. And now tell me about what happened last year because was last year like a no wagering, just an exhibition situation? I tried to, you know, I watched enough games. I tried to catch who won each time, and there were some weird things where the same guy won like eight times in a row or whatever. So that was strange, first of all. Uh, I didn't really hear about any sort of like playoffs. There's obviously no Sox Fest so that a guy like Joe Reese can get on stage under pressure, take on some kind of ridiculous, spooky uh, SAT word problem question and like, you know, come close to solving it like that. So you're not going to get that live experience. So was the last year of this last season of Sox Math abridged as it was, was it just exhibition for kicks? Uh, Was there a championship that was lost? Uh, Catch us up on Sox Math as the champ, and you should probably just retire it in your name. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was a, a little bit of a disappointing um, ending, uh, although it wasn't one that I was, you know, I wasn't expecting anything different, really. Um, yeah, I, there was no postseason. So, yeah, while, you know, the we found ways to have the NBA postseason and the MLB postseason, we Missed out on the most important postseason of all. You know, that we didn't have the Sox math postseason. Um, but, um, yeah, um, it turned, like, as far as, like, the annual championship is concerned, so in, in that regard, it turned out to be, you know, an exhibition season where, you know, no championship was played. Um, and... Um, so, technically, it, your T-shirt can be print. You can... You can ditch your 2018-19 Sox Math t-shirt, and technically it's not illegal to rescreen the shirts as 2018 through 20 Sox Math champion because there hasn't been a new one yet, right? Yes, I, I guess or so. Or forget the years, just say Sox Math champion because mm-hmm. nobody's going to dispute that. You know, Right, yes. Um, Sanders, uh, Lazowski, who are, you know, they can, they can beef, but you're like, hey, you know, un- <laughs> until you take me out, I'm wearing the shirt. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right, I want to clear that up because I wasn't yeah. sure. And, you know, last year we saw, like, I don't know, uh, uh, Spanky B, you know, won like eight times in a row. And, you know, it just seemed like there were a lot of names I wasn't used to seeing. 
Uh, I wasn't used to seeing my, my familiar people winning. And I thought, wait, is this, you know, does this allow the pros to just sort of say, all right, you know what, I'm, I'm opting out of the season. Uh, I'm not going to expose myself to the Sox math coronavirus. Uh, and I'm going to just train. I'm going to, I'm going to hone my skills for spring and summer 2021 when it counts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess you could say that. <laughs> um, yes. Um, yeah, I, I think the, the bigger reason, though, um, yeah, well, I mean, I have YouTube TV, which works as a major disadvantage. Um, and, you know, obviously with the state of the world in general, um, I, you know, I... I'm not going to any, you know, bars that don't have, or that have, that don't have YouTube TV and have it live, you know, so that I can, you know, get rid of the, you know, delay that YouTube TV has. Um, it's like, um, you know, obviously in 2020, that wasn't an option. Um, so, um, um, I kind of played along like, you know, in, in my head, you know, for practice, but I know that with like, you know, the 30 or so second delay that there, there was just no way in the vast majority of games that, you know, I would you know be able to win with, you know, under those, those some um, circumstances. Um, but um, it certainly is fun to play along, you know, even, even in, even in that, even in that case. And um yeah, looking looking forward to the, the the return to normality where you know travel and going to like bars and restaurants indoors is a thing again. Um, yeah. But um, for now, got to be safe. And um, yeah, there there needs to be a site for like all the people who have who, who have won on each particular day because yeah, like you said, like I'm sure a lot of people you know are we're also like in the dark about wait a second was there a postseason this year um because you know that kind of information you know isn't easily accessible and um it, it, it unfortunately what this season has taught you in addition to your technological disadvantages which you do have ways around which were not feasible this year is that there is a there's a hungry crew out there they are gunning for you you got hundreds if not thousands of people gone in for socks math 10 on yeah you got the crown and you're not hand, you're not giving it away plus once they get on that stage as long as you make it to that stage you've been there yes these newbies they you know could be jitters the pencil could break you know a lot of things can happen you you yes. know a lot of things can happen when it comes to that Very much. under pressure uh socks math finale at socks fest live I, you know, I figure nobody's really holding their breath for me to win, but I, I just keep always answering with words. And I figure oh, one of yes. these okay. days there is going to be one where the word wins. So I'll, I'll be ready because <laughs> nobody else, I don't think anybody else is doing that. Maybe a few people, but I figure just one day, accidentally, yeah. the answer will be a word and I, maybe I'll win. Yeah, those those are memorable, by the way, because, <laughs> yeah, like you said, I don't think anyone else has been doing that strategy. Uh, but um yeah. I can't go to Jason into ever laughing, ever responding. One day I'm going to. One, maybe, maybe. He seems funny. Seems like he's got a sense of yeah, humor. Jason, I agree. He's got a sense of humor. Yeah, he, he doesn't, yeah, he, he, 
tends to not be that much of a of a responder, I guess. You know, occasionally he will, but and listen, uh, this is serious business. I get it. I'm goofing with it, and this is serious <laughs> business. The fact that I'm even daring to goof with Sox math, I understand. I might get my White Sox fan card shredded or something. So I understand I'm pushing it. So I'm asking a lot here, but yeah, you figure in something like 16 to one runaway or something, you know, could just have a couple laughs, but I'm going to keep trying because one of these days it is going to be the answer to socks math will be a word and I'm going to be ready. And I'll just have my one little cocktail napkin that Jason signed and that'll put it on the wall and I'll say, Socks math champion too. All right, let's make it happen. All right, well, listen, I did want to address that because if I got the socks math champ, we just got to talk a little socks math. But All right. yeah. I think that winds things up for us for this uh, Southside Socks podcast 15 part two, uh, the sequel, w- not with Leonard Gore. Again, happy birthday, Lenny. And uh, But thanks, Joe. We covered a lot of territory here. We're definitely going to do this again soon. You've been on uh, several times with the Southside Hit Pen podcast, which is, let's say, on hiatus. Uh, So uh, let's do this again uh, sometime real soon. Yes, thank you so much for having me on. And yes, happy birthday to (laughs) Leonard. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. If you're watching us on our YouTube channel, because we're not able to host these videos on site any longer. So if you're over here watching us, uh, thanks. Get back to Southside Sox and read some good stuff. We're going to have stuff. Obviously, the holiday is going to be a little bit quieter, but, uh, you know, if you continue with the prospect uh, countdown um, next week, we're going to begin uh, the count up from prospect number 100 with our profiles of the nearly the entire, more than half of the White Sox system as it is now. Uh, So we'll have that going. And of course, we're going to be rolling into our Hall of Fame votes uh, real soon as well. So we're going to continue to have a lot of a lot of material for you to chew through. So please enjoy. And of course, many other podcasts as well, including another one coming up on the weekend. And hopefully, birthday boy Leonard Gore will come on with me again soon. And we'll uh, chat a little bit about his recent writing and what's going on in the offseason with the White Sox. But for Joe Reese's, for Joe and Joel Reese's, this is me, Brett Valentini. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. And uh, thanks for reading Southside Sox.